Soil and Water, Conservation Conversations. This podcast connects you to local farmers that are utilizing conservation practices on their farms. You'll learn about the farm, the farmer, the conservation practice that they have successfully implemented on their farm, as well as the challenges they face and how they've overcome these challenges. Beyond feeding the world, clean water is one of the many ecosystem services agriculture can provide. Agriculture is not the problem, rather, it is the solution to protecting and improving our local water quality. My name is Kim Meyer. I work with a group called Yahara Winds, which is a collaborative effort to improve water quality throughout the Yahara watershed. Today, I'm here with Dr. Mariella Kia Vigato with the Ohio State University Department of Crop Sciences and Animal Sciences. Thanks for meeting with us today. My pleasure. Um, we're today here at the Yahara Pride Farm Conference, and we had a great talk on greenhouse gas emissions, and we just want to do a recap for all of the folks that weren't able to attend today. So um, you had a great talk about climate change and global warming and how agriculture plays into all this. Can you explain the difference between climate change and global warming? Yes, it all starts with the greenhouse gas emissions. So greenhouse gases have the potential to retain solar radiation. As the concentration of greenhouse gas increase in the atmosphere, more solar radiation is retained on Earth. And so that causes global warming. So it's basically increasing the amount of solar radiation that is retained within the atmosphere. So it's called global warming, but it does not mean that everywhere on Earth is going to get warmer. Okay. Global warming causes climate to change. It causes extreme weather events. And so that is climate change. So climate change is real, is the consequence of global warming. And let's say that climate change is actually the environmental impact. That's what we see. So we see places that can make, maybe will get colder, you know, or drier or more rain, mm-hmm. or if, it, if it's the same amount of rain, it's less distributed. And so okay. you can have flooding and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's not that everywhere is gonna get warm and that's the only effect. Global warming leads to climate change. Okay. And that's what we see then, more extreme weather events. Okay, yeah, I think we experienced some of that in 2019. We had a very, very wet spring and a very, very wet fall. Yeah. More so than we'd ever seen before. Yeah, so. <laughs> we always come back to 2019 <laughs> and the changes. Can you talk about the different greenhouse gases? I know you, you mentioned there was like 80-some gases that play into all this. Yeah, there's a long list of greenhouse gases or gases that have the potential to hold, to retain the solar radiation. So it's 86 total. We have uh, three of them that are the ones in higher concentration in the atmosphere. And so these are the ones that we focus and talk about. So it's CO2, carbon dioxide, methane, which is CH4, and nitrous oxide, N2O. These are the three that are the most important ones in terms of concentration in the atmosphere and Mm -hmm. the ones that we are concerned right now and looking at. And these are the ones that are part of carbon footprint accounting. How much does that tie back to agriculture? These three gases can be emitted from agricultural practices and in farms. CO2 is the one of the least concern for agriculture, actually, because any CO2 that is emitted from soil respiration or animal respiration or any natural process like that, we consider as a closed cycle because it will go back into the system via photosynthesis. So CO2, in terms of a field, is not of a concern. And actually, when we collect, because we do anyway, when we see higher amounts of CO2, we kind of use that as an indirect indicator of soil respiration and organic matter content. The more, the better in that Mm -hmm. sense. 
Methane, though, and nitrous oxide are of concern because there's, once they are emitted, there's not a way to bring them back. And methane would be coming primarily from enteric fermentation, so from ruminants, cows, or manure, manure storage and manure application. And nitrous oxide is coming primarily from inorganic fertilization, so fertilizers applied in soils. There's some coming from manure application too, but also in grazing systems and urine deposition is a huge source of nitrous oxide. You did talk a little bit about carbon sequestration. I think we all kind of have an idea of maybe what that is, but can you explain a little more about, about that piece? Yeah, so carbon sequestration will be the same CO2 that I just mentioned, the CO2 that is part of soil respiration, that is part of um, microbe development, organic matter. But there's just a, a distinction there that needs to be made. There's the organic matter and the organic carbon in the top soil layers. So that's, let's say, is the carbon that is readily available and usable for microbe development um, and organic matter in general. So that carbon there is not sequestration, that's just your organic matter. So if you take a soil sample to eight inches, that's organic matter, it's carbon that is being cycled in the system, as I mentioned earlier. Over time, as you build on organic matter with roots and you know, any practices that build on organic matter, this organic carbon, let's say, it will move down to deeper layers. So the carbon that is stuck at from 20 to 30 inches down in the soil, this is an, still organic carbon, but it's a stable form that is not readily used you know, by microbes or anything. So that is carbon that is stocked in the system. Anytime that you have a changing carbon stock from one year to five years or something, that difference is the carbon sequestration. Okay, so basically if people are doing regular soil sampling to six inch depth and they see their organic matter growing, that doesn't mean that they're sequestering carbon necessarily. No, mm-hmm. no. eventually that is the carbon that will, could you know, become carbon stock if it's building on over time. Mm-hmm. But organic matter will vary a lot from year to year and it, it takes time for organic matter to become carbon stock. Okay, so then you had talked also in your later discussion about uh, the carbon footprint of a farm. And you had seven pounds of CO2 per gallon of milk on on the good side. You also mentioned three ways to reduce emissions. Can you talk a little bit about what farmers can do on their own side to be a part of the solution? Yes. So we have three ways to reduce emissions, to mitigate climate change, basically. One is reducing emissions, so reducing any methane, nitrous oxide that is coming from farms. Second one would be to increase sinks. We have seen that there is some, there is indication that methane and nitrous oxide can be uptaking. There are microbes that can use methane and nitrous oxide as their energy source. And so they take from the atmosphere and bring it back to the soil. So that's a, a sink of gas. And then the third way is increasing carbon sequestration, which is part of the carbon footprint equation calculation. And both the sink and the sequestration would be subtracted from those total emissions, and those are places to target. The problem with the sink, though, is that we know very little about. We don't know still what are the microbes that are doing it, how they're doing it, what factors, you know, affect. Like, is it more moisture, less moisture, you know, what, what is going on there? So we can't really use management strategies for it just yet. We don't know enough. So the other two options that are left are decrease emissions and increase carbon sequestration. And that brings us to what kind of practices then would do that. 
Well, if you look at a carbon footprint from a farm, and part of what I showed was that 47% of emissions were coming from enteric methane emissions, emissions from cows. And my concern in tackling that is that anything you do for cows could directly affect milk production. So you're going to change diet of a cow, for example. You know, if, mm -hmm. you, if you already have a balanced diet, if you try to change that, you may just affect milk production. And the second concern is decreasing number of animals, which we're not going to do. Yeah. We don't want to do that. So I don't think that, you know, targeting enteric methane, I mean, there's room for possibilities if the diet's in unbalance and all that, but let's consider that you already have a good diet. Then the other 45% is manure management and soil management to reduce emissions. And then there's also an overlap with carbon sequestration. Anytime you talk about soil management, you can relate to carbon sequestration. If this is the focus in terms of manure, what we need to think is that emissions come from carbon, nitrogen, and moisture. So manure in lagoons mm -hmm. is a huge source of methane. So there are many today, many technology, many alternatives, strategies to separate manure, to composting, solids and, and liquids. So anything that you could do to manage manure that is not kept on you know, uncovered lagoons would help decreasing emissions. And this can vary. There are many strategies, but this is definitely one route. And the other one is anything that will help carbon sequestration. And basically, it could say that anything that will add organic matter, over time, it will become carbon sequestration. So soil cover, number one, as mm -hmm. much as possible. Cover crops, no-till is essential. We cannot reduce carbon sequestration in farms with tillage. That's going to be really, really hard. Diversity, anytime that you bring mixtures, you know, diverse rotations, different types of cover crops, or even different types of fertilization. You know, you can do inorganic, inorganic fertilization. Any type of diversity that you make would create more diverse organic matter, and that's adding carbon more and more uh, deep into the soil. Yeah, you mentioned in your talk about um, how animals are a part of the solution. Um, in pastures, there is we can see that perennial areas, either hay or grazed pastures, are a very good source of increased carbon sequestration. But animals, when you graze these areas, they really help with the nutrient cycling, meeting carbon and nitrogen together. So when we increase this cycling in pastures and grazing, carbon sequestration rate is also faster. That's another possibility, is grazing a small area, even if it's a couple of months a year, you don't have to change grass fed, but add, adding any grazing aspect really helps in carbon sequestration. Well, would manure help as well where um, a field that hadn't received manure to have an application of manure uh, added versus the grazing? Would that have a similar effect? That depends on the application method. Okay. So manure that is just left on the top of the soil will actually increase emissions. Low disturbance manure application is mm -hmm. a good way when you incorporate this manure. So you add your organic matter, but a little bit deeper, not just on the surface. Adding it just on the surface, we're actually increasing losses. So any way of bringing it down a little bit and then but not tillage. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Any other strategy that could do uh, manure incorporation and then plants growing, right? If you mm -hmm. do, even if you apply on the surface, but then you have cover crops, that would be a different scenario. So this manure needs to be used, but it would still not be the same as grazing because it's not only the manure, but it's the animal impact on the area that really helps with the cycle. Okay. Yeah, I found it really neat that you had the solutions kind of up on the screen and then on the other side you had Yahar Pride Farm cost share opportunities and how everything was kind of parallel. A lot of the things that the farmers here are trying to do 
partner really well with you know, trying to sequester carbon. Yeah, you have Pride Farms cost share programs already had already done my job. <laughs> That's what I felt. I was uh, providing a list of recommendations to a group of farms and looking, thinking of alternatives, and I put this list together. And then I found the co-share program, and I looked at the list, and I was like, wow, it's all here. So I can just use this list then. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things you mentioned when you brought up this parallel that's occurring with water quality and carbon, you said nutrient cycling and nutrient use are really important. Increased nutrient use by the plants reduces nutrient loss. Yes, that's the main concept that connects all environmental impact types. It's the same for water contamination or air contamination, air quality. If you're using nitrogen, if you're using carbon, oxygen, anything, then it's not going to be lost by that system. And so you are not contaminating either water or air. So it's not, that's why it's the, these are the same practices. You know, it's the same list. The Coast Share mm -hmm. Program by Yahara Pride Farms was designed for phosphorus losses, but they work just the same for nitrogen, uh, carbon, or anything else. Just this concept of optimizing nutrient use, so having a nutrient management program for all of your nutrients, phosphorus and nitrogen as well, and optimizing that at all times of the year, right? Using, you can use different strategies, optimize nutrient use at every single moment in time as much as you can, sometimes they're more difficult, but if you maximize and optimize that, you're gonna reduce losses. You know, the system is not gonna retain excessive nutrients, none of them, not mm -hmm. phosphorus or nitrogen or anything. So you, you need to use. And the input-output balance is important. Just apply or enter just what you can use. Because other than anything in excess of that, is going to be lost. So that's the basic overview is you don't need to understand the gases in anything. You just need to optimize the nutrient use so they won't be lost. And then you don't have environmental impacts. Coming back to this um, carbon opportunity that agriculture has, you had mentioned that agriculture is the one place that there's the potential for sequestration. Yes. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe the your thoughts on the current carbon markets, like if people should be running for it or waiting out and see. Yeah, I truly believe that agriculture is the place where carbon sequestration is going to come from. We have lots of opportunity to do that. There are practices that are becoming more and more familiar and farmers are understanding it better and finding ways to do it. And these are practices that would generate carbon sequestration. And I don't see the potential of generating carbon sequestration anywhere else in any other sector. Agriculture is the one that is going to do this. And at the same time, produce food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in terms of the carbon market, I think that it's still very, very soon. I think that we are trying to rush into things that we are not ready for, because many things are still unclear. And also the, this value that agriculture has to both reduce emissions and increase carbon sequestration is not clear, you know, and it's not actually being as valued as it should be. So in my opinion, I don't think farmers are ready to join programs for carbon because we don't have the number that is actually fair and true to the work that it takes to increase all this carbon sequestration. There are many things we still need to discuss, and I think it's too early to adopt now. I think we can, we can make our point in terms of showing the value of agriculture, the importance, and all the benefits that agriculture has, and the role of agriculture in fighting climate change and not contributing to it. Farmers are interested in looking into greenhouse gas emissions, their carbon footprint of their farm, or 
you know, whatever tools that may be out there for them to better understand their own system, where would you suggest farmers go to? There are many um, tools available. IPCC provides tools, the Inter- Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. USDA has tools to uh, look at farm nutrient balance and emissions. And there is the Cool Farm Alliance group that uh, made a Cool Farm tool. That tool is being widely used uh, by farmers. It's free for farmers. So that could be a good way to, to providing a first overview of the carbon footprint of a farm. So. Everything needs to be taken with cautions at this point still. We have many things that are uncertain. But if you want to see a first you know, idea, where am I in this mm-hmm. you know, crazy world of climate change, this tool could be used to provide that first overview. I just suggest some you know, care, the, trying to simulate too many scenarios. I don't know how precise that the tools would be. Like if I have this and then I egg over crops, how much would that change? If you don't see any difference, it doesn't mean that there, there aren't any. It just means that maybe the tool was not precise enough to capture. So, but these are good ideas uh, that could be used for a first overview. Okay, great. Yeah, just as uh, somebody else mentioned at the conference today that um, no model is accurate, but some are really helpful and yeah, guiding help to decisions. provide directions. Mm-hmm. So, and something, some if you do it, something may completely stand out, you know, and you're like, whoa, I really need to look at this. Mm-hmm. It's completely standing out. So you provide a direction where to go. Well, thank you for um, coming and talking at your Hard Pride Farm Conference, and thanks for uh, this nice review after the fact. A lot of great information, and if listeners would like to learn more about the research. Where can they find that? Just go to Ohio State University website. Is there a, do you have a web page with any of this information? Yes, there is my, uh, I'm in two web pages there, Department of Horticulture and Crop Science under faculty or Department of Animal Science. I'm there too. And feel free to contact me, email me anytime with any other questions. Happy to. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much.